Welcome to the Legit Lady Podcast, where we feature women who are nailing it in life. Hola, bonjour, hello, Legit Lady listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am your host, Julie Fetterman, and I am so happy you're here to listen to the podcast where we feature impressive women to inspire the world. So this week, I've gotten a couple of really great emails, uh, a couple of people who had some nice things to say about some of the episodes they listened to and shared some really great stories about how it's really touched them in their life and it's inspired them to open up in a couple of ways just because of the stories that we have been sharing. So thank you so much for that. And in true Legit Lady podcast form, I'm going to hop over to some reviews here and I'm going to pick a review that uh, echoes something very similar. And uh, our friend Ryan here on iTunes says, Love the li- loved the Senna Said episode, solid financial advice. Thanks. And I really appreciate this. Because like some of the emails we've been hearing, it's calling out a specific episode that really particularly touched them. And it's very funny how it's like sometimes the episodes that I think are going to get listened to the most are not necessarily the ones that are in number one place, uh, even though they're incredible and amazing. But some of the episodes that I didn't think people would connect to as much because it might have been a bit of an edge case or something totally different are ones that people absolutely love. And so this is why we seek to represent such great diversity on the platform and on the podcast to make sure that you really cover the gambit. We offer all sorts of different perspectives, even if it's something that you might not necessarily either agree with or think you wanted to learn more about. I think that's a a credible place of where podcasts come to share information with you that you didn't know that you wanted to know or information you didn't know you needed to know in some cases. So thank you so much, Ryan. Please, please keep the reviews coming. They really do help. And for anyone looking to help us financially, it's a great way to be able to support the podcast and cover the costs of hosting and running a podcast because podcasting is not free, is to take us out for a virtual drink or virtual coffee, or just give us a little monetary high five. Is that a thing that people do, like a dollar high five? Just slip us a few bucks, that'd be great. Uh, best way to do that is to go to ko-fi.com or coffee.com. So it's ko-fi.com slash podcast. And there you can even write a few words, say, hey, thanks so much for what you're doing to help support women all over the world and keep doing what you're doing. And I have to say thank you, thank you to those of you who have been sharing the podcast to people that you care about in your life or just broadly on social media. Every day I'm seeing the reach of our podcast continue to grow. Our listening numbers keep growing. Our downloads are growing. And this podcast is international, baby. So keep it coming. I love seeing it. And I really, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate those of you who have been supportive of us since day one. Our guest this week is someone that I seeked out 
since now I've gone beyond the point with the podcast where I've tapped a lot of people on the shoulder who I know, people I kind of sort of know. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, who would be a really cool person to bring on? So I'm sending Instagram DMs. I'm prospecting on LinkedIn. I am going everywhere to try to just bring on really cool, diverse voices. And this voice was one I reached out to because I thought she had a really cool job title. And that job title is a chief science officer. Now, hands up if you know what a chief science officer is or what they do right? Uh, neither do I. So <laughs> that's why it caught my attention. I was like, this would be so cool to be able to bring on and understand a little bit more about what this means and what they do and how that even becomes a thing in the first place. So please give a very, very warm welcome to Sarah Seabrook. She's the chief science officer and co-founder of Instant Chemistry. And her story is amazing. happy to be on site and talking to you today, Sarah. This is yeah, great. Nice to meet you. Thank you for coming out here. <laughs> I know. I know. I was in my Uber. I'm like, I don't think I've ever, ever been this part of the city before. And I'm born and raised in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> you got to come out here more. It's kind of nice out here. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. And I have to say, when I found you on LinkedIn, <laughs> yeah. I was really impressed by you. Oh, and I you. knew I had to have you on the podcast. So thank you for saying yes. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Yay. <laughs> wonderful. All right. Well, uh, since we might as well get started and jump in live, mm -hmm. you know how this works. We get to know you through 10 main questions. Yep. Lots of great questions in between as follow up, as you can see here by my very technical post-it notes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so with that, I'd love to get started and jump in live with question one, which sure. is what advice would you give to your teenage self? Uh, so I was thinking about that. And one thing that I probably would have said to myself is not to be so focused on like one particular goal. So when I was really young, uh, I decided that I wanted to be a veterinarian very early on. Me too. That's hilarious. <laughs> that was totally my childhood dream. Although yeah. you totally, you, you went still in science and I did not. <laughs> well, what happened as, as kind of a result from that was that I, I looked into all of the requirements to do it. Like I was like, I'm going to do this. And the requirements to get into the veterinary college was very much like, you need all of these science courses, you need chemistry, you need like math, you need all of this stuff. And as a result, I was very focused on trying to do all of that and focus on all of that. And I think sort of as a result from that, I didn't sort of venture out and try other things that I think I might've enjoyed. Like looking back on it now, I think that I would have enjoyed taking like, um, like a, an ecology, more ecology, like studying the plants and like taking courses where you go to like the Bahamas and you study the ecosystem there. And I didn't do that stuff because I was like, I need all of these courses and I have to do all of this and I have to meet all of these requirements. And I didn't let myself sort of explore. So I think what I would say to myself is it's okay to like, you know, explore, try different things. Don't stay too focused on one thing and, you know, let yourself try different things because maybe, maybe veterinary 
medicine isn't what's going to happen. And as you can see, I'm not a veterinarian. So <laughs> <laughs> so you did branch out a bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, it wasn't, it wasn't really by choice because I did apply to the veterinary college and I had everything that I needed. But then I like I I completely bombed on the interview when I went. Oh, no. And so yeah. what happened? <laughs> well, I just I was too nervous. I think I had worked myself up too much. Like I, I was like I'd spent all the, I worked in veterinary hospitals. I worked in like kennels and I did all of this stuff, all of this preparation. And it just I think I just psyched myself out. And when I went to the interview, I, got, I didn't prepare maybe enough and I just completely bombed it. And then I didn't get into the program, obviously. And then... Even with all that experience, you were just too nervous? <laughs> I was just too yeah. nervous. I was just too nervous. And yeah, so it was... I, I, and I, the thing was, I think after I didn't get in, I kind of thought to myself, you know, um, I, didn't, I, I didn't really have the motivation to apply again the following year. Mm. And I felt like maybe... You know, it, after after getting the rejection letter, it kind of like made me sit back and like stop focusing on everything that I was doing and think about other things. And I was kind of like, well, maybe I don't actually want this that much because I don't have a desire to go back and apply for it again the next year. And I just kind of at that point, I kind of like let it go. And I was like, I'm going to do something else that I find interesting, something that I actually find interesting as opposed to me being like stubborn and stuck on this one particular goal. Right. So that's kind of when I started to branch out. And that's kind of when I sat back and I was like, you know, I wish I'd kind of taken that ecology course or I'd kind of done this or that. But, you know, that's just <laughs> that's just the way you live. So that's what I would go back and I would tell my teenage self or my younger self to like not to stay too focused on one thing and you know, allow yourself to explore different aspects of, you know, what you might want to do, because maybe you think of something when you're young, but that's not actually what's going to happen or maybe not what you actually want to do when you get older. Yeah. So. No, I mean, especially for some of the the younger listeners who are like, yes, I'm going to be an astronaut or a marine biologist just because that's sort of what your peers are saying that they want to do. It might be helpful to open up that idea to other options too. And just because you pursue one thing doesn't mean you have to be married to that one idea forever. But yeah. it, it sounds like it worked out for you serendipitously because you somehow came from flunking your veterinary interview to <laughs> co-founding this incredible company. So can you yeah. tell us a little bit about that journey in between? Right. So when I was doing my undergraduate, um, I was taking a physiology course, it was animal physiology in my second year. And it was a it was a requirement, for, you know, to take this stuff for veterinary medicine is part of the reason I was taking it. But, you know, the professor walked in and within like a few lectures, I was like, this material is amazing. It is so interesting. I'm so like, I love coming to this class. I love learning about this stuff. It's really, 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 really interesting. Um, and so I actually approached him and I said, I want to work in your lab because I love this stuff. I find it really cool. Um, and if you believe it, I bombed on the job interview for that too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it's actually it seems like a pattern here. <laughs> <laughs> I think I psych myself out too much before I go into them. And then I just like, I, I think I would do better now. But when I was younger, it was harder for me. And I've been actually putting a lot of work into trying to be able to speak better in like interview sessions. And um, you're doing yeah. great. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it's a lot of practice. And a lot of practice was in graduate school actually doing that. Um, so I was actually a one of like three people to be interviewed. And uh, I knew one of the other um, 
people who were interviewed and he got the position and I was actually friends with him. So I was kind of like, okay, well, I, I, you know, it's not so bad, you know, I can't be, I can't be upset with you for getting the position. So, but what happened was, um, I actually emailed the professor after and I thanked him very much for taking the time to interview me and that I really enjoyed what like his taking his class and what I'd learned in it. And like, I, I still really appreciated it, what I'd learned from him. And then I said, if there's ever another job open, like opportunity in your lab, I'd love if you consider me again for an interview. And a couple of months later, he actually emailed me back and said, you know what? I need an assistant to like look at. It's not a research based position, but it's looking after stuff in the lab. And he was like, do you want the position? And I said, well, yeah, <laughs> I, want the, I want the position. So I got um, as a result from that, I got a foot in the door into a research lab in a university. And it was it was a lot of fun. I learned. I mean. It was a Drosophila lab. I don't know if you know Drosophila melanogaster. They're they're fruit no, fly. No, it's not in my vernacular personally. <laughs> Feel free to share what that means. <laughs> <laughs> so Drosophila melanogaster is actually a fruit fly. It's your typical fruit oh. fly. Yeah, and it's it's Drosso a just Drosophila. 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 Yeah, Drosophila melanogaster. Melanogaster is the species. Melanogaster. It sounds like something from Game of Thrones almost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> if you look at them close enough, they kind of look like something freaky from Game of Thrones. <laughs> the house of melanogaster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go on. <laughs> uh, but, so Drosophila are actually a very well-established uh, model in research. They're a genetic model. Uh, the first mutation was found in Drosophila. The discovery that genes are actually carried on chromosomes were found in Drosophila. It's huge. Like Drosophila, there's like um, all there's like databases where you can go and you buy fruit flies with particular mutations, and they they have all kinds of gene regulation. Like it's a very very advanced genetic model. Like you can you can get a Drosophila and you can turn on and off a gene in just like the nervous system, for example. Wow. Um, yeah, I used to take I used to take. Um, Drosophila to high schools. There was a program called Let's Talk Science, and I take all of these different mutant strains. And one of them was um, a heat sensitive mutation that if you heated it up, their nervous system shut down. And so the kids would take these these poor little vials, like there are vials full of Drosophila, and the kids would take them. And I say if you heat them up, they become paralyzed temp like temporarily until they cool down. So the kids right. would hold the vial tightly in their hand and heat it up, and all the flies would just be like. What? And they'd fall oh. to the bottom and then they'd let go and all the flies would run off the side again. And they just love doing this. Like Drosophila is a very, very advanced, like it's a genetic model, a very advanced genetic model, which is how I sort of got into genetics. But it was a lot of, there's a lot of care of Drosophila. You have to make food for them. You have to flip stalks into new vials of food and you have to... Um, clean a lot of stuff, like working with a live animal. So that was my job when I first started. I was going in there, I was making fly food. <laughs> <laughs> Very glamorous. Yeah. <laughs> but I got me into like, I started to learn about the flies. I got to know the professor. Um, and he actually wrote one of the references for me for vet school. And then um, when I didn't get in, I, I, I approached him. I told him that I hadn't gotten in. And I said, but you know what? I'm really liking what I'm doing here. And you know, I, I want to continue this. And, um, you know, if you were, if you'd be interested in having Venus like a master's student, I would, I would love to come and do a master's. And then, so, cause we'd had that opportunity to form that personal relationship. He said, yeah, yeah I think you would be good at it. And so that's sort of how I ended up going into grad studies was just going into that lab and working. And then he was like, okay, well, let's do this. And then we, I, I came on as a <laughs> master's student. Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's on. <laughs> yeah. So I joined as a master's student and then 
one year into the master's program, I said to him, can I do the, the test to transfer from the master's to the PhD? And he said, well, I think you can do a PhD, so let's do it again. <laughs> so, wow. because I'm, I, I find that uh, for me, at least, uh, and I've, again, I've been working on like the, um, like the interview style of communication, but it was, it was more difficult for me and I had to show what I was able to do as opposed to being able to talk my way through something. I had mm-hmm. to more be like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to really botch this conversation, but if you let me show you what I'm capable of, then you're like, oh, "Okay, you're actually pretty <laughs> good at this." And so, but then it was like in grad school, it's like you have to work on communication. Yeah, yeah, you can't just do that your whole whole yeah, way through. <laughs> yeah, you have to teach you have to TA, you have to teach undergrad courses like the labs, you have to give presentations, you have to pass a verbal exam every year like going through all of your materials. So there was a lot of working on like public speaking and stuff like that and it's helped me a lot along the way. How did but, how did you prepare for that? Was it just practice or were there any other exercises that you did or did you work with any coaches? Uh, I didn't work with any I think my PhD supervisor was sort of my coach because there's, um, I kind of started with, I would have everything written down that I wanted to say and I'd have my notes with me. And then one day he said to me, he was like, Sarah, no more notes. Put away your notes and just talk. And I was (laughs) like, uh, okay. So then I was like, but he's a very wise person. So I was like, okay, I'll try it. So then the next time I was like, I was so nervous and I just like put away all of my notes and I was like, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. It was nice to have someone who kind of believed in me that I could do it. And then I just like, I tried it. And since then I really kind of haven't gone back to having notes. And I feel like it's, it's hard, but it's also easier because you're not trying to memorize a script. You're just trying to talk. But then it's also hard because you're trying to hit all of the points and you're trying to make sure you don't sound silly or, you know, do something that's like completely off topic or anything like that. But um, it was good. It was good for him to say that to me. He was just like, no, no more notes. Put them yeah. away. No, it's really critical to have that person in your development or your sphere to be like, oh, okay, this is this is a crutch. You need to stop what you're doing for you to be able to ultimately grow and yeah. jump off and, and do better. And I have to say, I'm really impressed by even though you had this almost crippling fear of speaking in an interview setting, it's not like it it impacted the way you interacted with authority. So you still asked for opportunities. And I think yes. that's a piece that a lot of people struggle with. Because we think, oh, we're not good enough or, oh, this person got this opportunity. So therefore I'm out and I can't, I can't be part of this too. That's really admirable. (laughs) (laughs) I always found this about like, there's, there's doors that are open and there's doors that are shut. And like, you know, sometimes the door shuts in your face. Like, for example, like the veterinary college is shut and it's shut in my face. And I kind of understand why, but it's like, you just got to keep looking for, that open door and some of them open and some of them don't. And you just kind of, you know, if you don't give up, you keep kind of navigating and trying to figure out a path. And eventually, you know, one of them hopefully will open for you and you just go through. It's it's hard though to keep taking rejection, right? It, you have to get like a thick skin to, because I think that's part of the reason why people don't ask for something is because of that fear of like rejection or being told that you're not good enough. Um, and in grad studies, people like to do that a lot to you. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. oh. They tell you that you're not good enough <laughs> all the time. And so you get a thick skin doing that as well. So you need to, you develop that thick skin and you try to navigate around it. It's a lot of, it's, it's a lot of working your way 
through and, you know, trying to be resilient. <laughs> yeah, I can yeah. only imagine. And I mean, I'm not sure if, if my experience was any similar to yours. So I studied science in university, not anywhere to the degree that you did. But uh, I, I did get a sense that it was a bit imbalanced gender wise. So it was generally a little bit more male dominant. Did you find that that was at all the same for you in your classes or in labs? Um, I feel like so in my lab, there was we had three PhD students all going through at the same time and two were women, me and another woman. And there was one man. Oh, that's great. Um, and in the classes that I taught, I felt like there was women, at least they're coming up. Right. Maybe they're like when you get higher up into like professors, like there's there's a lot more. There seems to be a lot more male professors. Right. But there's a lot more women who are coming up. They're younger. They're working their way through like that. We're starting to even that out a little bit. And I think it's it's going to take time. Mm. Um, but I think that as new professors are coming in and they're getting hired, it's going to start to switch over a little bit and you're going to start to see more women who are in those roles. And the thing about like women professors, at least when I was there, is if you like, if you can imagine, they had to be tough <laughs> to get to where they are. Yeah. So those women professors were tough. And I thought to myself, you know, I want to have like a female role model on my committee or whatever. And my, <laughs> my supervisor was kind of like, are you sure? Because they're tough women who've got to these positions right now, like to fight through everything to get there. And they're going to be really tough on you. And he was like, I don't know if you want someone who's tough. And I was like, well, I don't know. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's not. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> but um, yeah, there was some, there was, I remember there was one very nice female professor that, um, she was kind of friends with my supervisor. And so she was a, she was an important influence too on being like, okay, this, you know, this is what I can do a kind of a role model for me. Um, that she's very smart. She's, she's high up in her position. She was, she actually got a grant to send like her experiment up into space to see like the results. Like it was really kind of wow. cool, like some neat stuff that she was doing. Um, so it was, it's always nice to watch somebody who's, you, you know, who's very successful and, and a role model for you and be like, this is what I can sort of aspire to. So it was nice to have her as a kind of an influence as well going through. That's amazing. Yeah. Was she hard on you? No, actually, she was <laughs> she was a pretty nice lady. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe yeah. she was just hard on the dudes and not. <laughs> not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, it, what advice would you give to any any women who are looking to come up in science or any women who have an interest in science? Uh, do it if you just do, do it. <laughs> do it. <laughs> no, if it's something that you're interested in, follow what you're interested in and don't worry about like what anybody else thinks is right or wrong or what they think you should be doing. Um, a lot of people have opinions about things and you have to sort of trust your own instincts because it's your life and it's, you know, you have to do what makes you feel good about yourself, not what somebody else thinks will make you feel good about yourself. And so if you're interested in science, pursue it, go through it. Um, you're going to you're going to hit setbacks. You're going to get knocked down. You're going to have people that sort of are really not very nice to you. And for me, it was sort of about surrounding myself with positive people and trying to not let the negative people have an impact on me. Kind of like, OK, well, I, maybe I have to deal with you, but I'm not going to like let what you say, you know, impact what I do. Mm -hmm. It's about trying to like 
remove the negativity and keep the positivity because it's hard enough as it is already. You don't need somebody like hanging on to you, telling you that you can't do something or you're not good enough or you just want those people around here. You're like, yeah, I think you can do it. You should try it. Even if you fail, that's it's okay. Mm -hmm. You try it anyways. And then if you fail, you get up, you try something else or you try it again. Like it's not being scared to fail and just just being brave enough to try, mm -hmm. I guess. That's, that's great advice. Yeah, that's that's my own personal experience. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's yeah. wonderful. I I got teased a lot for being in science, even in high school. I took oh, yeah. I took the six pack, like I took all the maths and sciences, and I got teased a lot. So oh, really, yeah, <laughs> I know. No, it's fine. I, I'm I, I'm over it. Hopefully, <laughs> but it's really great advice to just keep on course, keep focused, don't let anything negative bring you down. Yeah. It's hard, though, to not let yeah. something negative bring you down. Sometimes you have to like, um, I actually, I got an email once from someone who wasn't even a professor. He was like an administrator and he had sent me an email. For some reason, he felt inclined to like write three paragraphs well structured about why he thought I wasn't good enough. What? <laughs> He, he took the, the time to he write that. Wow. <laughs> it's a long story why it was written, but um, I didn't think it was necessary. But he was trying to explain why something had happened. And the reason that he was trying to explain was he was trying to say I wasn't good enough for it. Um, and then it was that was a rough email to read. And I, yeah. you know, I, <laughs> I just Jeez. walked out of the lab. I went and I got myself a coffee. I went and sat somewhere by myself for a little while. And then I just kind of like. I didn't reply to the email. I deleted the email and I was like, I can't. And when my, when my supervisor came, I was like, I was like, that was like an unnecessarily harsh email. <laughs> and yeah. he kind of agreed with me. And so it was like, at least I felt like someone agreed with me that <laughs> yeah, you felt validated. <laughs> yeah. I felt validated that that was unnecessarily yeah. harsh. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's hard. It's hard. It takes some time. It can. And I'm not going to lie that I haven't sat and cried <laughs> Yeah. over stuff because it's it sometimes it just like really gets to you and you just have to you you let it out because if you got this thing that's happened you let it out and then you try to recover from it and you try to bounce back and be like okay I've felt how I felt that wasn't very nice and now I'm going to I move on from it yeah and ultimately sometimes when those things are expressed to us, whether it's in an email or it's a comment or anything like that it's typically a reflection of that person, of something they're either dealing with in the moment or an insecurity or blind spot that they are in denial about or don't know they even have. Right. And that's something that I know now as an adult, but you know, years ago, 10 years ago, even I might not have the awareness to even think about that. So, right. Uh, I don't think I even knew that. So that's good to know. It's <laughs> true. No, it is. It's okay. so true. Oh my goodness. Yeah. There was, um, <clears throat> so, uh, I, I partner very closely with colleagues who are in sales and I get to partner with a lot of wonderful women. And one conversation I had with my uh, sales colleague, she was getting berated by this new client partner who was actually just downright being almost verbally abusive. And this uh -huh. was a call that we recorded. Her manager listened to it. She's like, oh my gosh, I do not feel okay with that. And we actually took steps after it. Uh, because it was just not cool. And what happened is this guy who was on the call, who was the client who had done a lot for, had a great partnership up until that point. He was going through a divorce and he was uh. having a really bad day. <clears throat> still doesn't excuse him from acting like a jerk, but still 
You never yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, there's something going on in their own life. Yeah. yeah. That's good to be aware of. Yeah. Say there must be something going on. We're perfectly imperfect as we are. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move forward to question two, which is what's your proudest accomplishment? So, I mean, proudest accomplishment. I think that something that I'm really proud of is that I actually, I have my grade eight piano. Oh, wow. That's, a, <laughs> that's <laughs> and, cool. And that took a lot of work. Um, I took, I was in piano for years and taking exams and I actually took the grade eight Royal Conservatory exam and passed that and got my actually got my grade at piano. So that's like an accomplishment for me. <laughs> that's cool. When did you start playing piano? When I was young, when I was, I think, I can't even remember, maybe like grade one or two, I started playing piano and, okay. and it was, um, yeah, it, it, you have to take like, it's not just like the, the playing part, but there's the theory and there's the written part. And so I finished all of that. And that was a, it's something that I'm still quite proud of to say that I, I passed my grade at piano exam. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I grew up playing violin and I did not stick it out that far. In fact, <laughs> I love yeah. the playing. I did not like the theory and, and all the other elements myself. So that's that's a yeah. huge accomplishment. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Do you still play? I do, but I play more for enjoyment. I just kind of like, because... As we, you should. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a piano. It's one thing that I said to my husband. I was like, I, the house doesn't feel right without a piano in it. Like, I feel that's something that makes a house. And that's just for me. Mm -hmm. um, so he actually bought me like an electric piano for Christmas, like a full-size one. Oh. But um, it sounds like a, like a nice, it's got a nice sound to it, like a real piano. But I mean, I try to play, but we've got two kids. And uh, the second you start playing, they're on the seat beside you. And they're like hitting the keys. Finger right? bashing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so mommy, it's music. Yeah. And you're like, mm. <laughs> so most of the time, I'm just like, I just play with them, and I'm trying to teach them a little bit about piano. And I play things like, you know, um, "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star" on the piano. Right. Like, I'm not playing anything. Classic I, hits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a big thing for me to do that. I know I, you might like say, "Well, getting a PhD is a big accomplishment," and it is a big accomplishment. But I feel like it's also, um, it's just the start. You mm -hmm. get it. And then it's like, okay, well, now what do you do with it? So I feel like it's sort of an ongoing thing. It, you feel really good on the day that you get your PhD, but then it's like, okay, now I have to actually make it worth my while and actually use it. So I still, even though it's been almost 10 years, I still feel like, okay, I need to, you know, make good use of this. So it's an right. ongoing sort of attempt to make it a, a, a proudest accomplishment, I guess. <laughs> Well, I mean, it seems like you're well on your way to doing that. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it seems like you've been involved in some commercial ventures and using your PhD. Can yes. you tell us a little bit about your company or companies? It seems like you have a couple of, of ventures you're involved in. So Instant Chemistry. Um, yeah. So Instant Chemistry is actually, um, it offers a test for couples who are in romantic relationships to give them insight into sort of how their relationship ticks and strengths and weaknesses to help them make the relationship stronger. And it's actually, it's a genetic test. So it's based on academic research, looking at genes that affect personality and affect relationships. So it comes with a, it's a 27 page report and it goes through, um, each person's individual results and then it goes through what it means for them as a couple. So the test has um, a few different components. It has the biological compatibility component, which is like a sexual attraction component. Um, and so these are looking at genes of 
it's okay. Well, I'll explain it a little bit. They look at genes of our immune system. Mm-hmm. And these genes are very diverse from person to person. And the more different these genes are between two people, the more likely they are to have a physical attraction. Really? Yeah. So this was... Is, is that truly like the opposite att- opposites attract type of mentality or... Well, I guess, it, yeah, a lot of people say it's the opposites attract sort of mentality, but it's based on actually um, smell. So... What? <laughs> <laughs> Go on. (laughs) (laughs) So um, it was studied, uh, first identified in humans by back in 1995, and it's um, called the sweaty t-shirt study. And so what this study was, was they asked men to wear shirts without any like cologne or deodorant for a few days and sleep in the shirts. And then they took the shirts off and they gave them to women to smell. And the women have never met any of the men before. And they had to rank the most attractive to the least attractive based on smell alone on these shirts. So they smelled them and they ranked them. And then they looked to identify, is there a genetic component to this? And what they found was that these genes of our immune system uh, were contributing to that um, you know, sense of this person smells attractive to me. Mm. And so the idea behind it is that if you have two different two people with very different immune systems and they come together and have a child, that child is now getting a more diverse immune system from mom and from dad, as opposed to similar genes from mom and dad. And they have a greater, um, it's called the heterozygote advantage, but they have a greater ability to defend themselves against pathogens or diseases because they've got this more diverse set of genes in their immune system. Mm. Um, so that's the, that's sort of the physical attraction. And so when these, um, genes make proteins and the proteins break down, they're excreted from our body and they are, they, they contribute to our body odor. So right. this is like a body odor without like cologne or deodorant or anything like that. It's that like, oh, that person just smells good to me, right? And that's part of that is this, the genes of, it's called the HLA genes. Um, and is the smell different than say like a BO smell? Like if that person is sweaty, is it like a different part of the body type smell? Um, well, it's kind of would be related to, to BO, like it's, yeah, like underarm smell. It's it's your body. (laughs) (laughs) That's the specific part. (laughs) I I mean, some people, they will smell very good to you and other people you're like, Oh, uh, like that person just smells really bad to me. And part of that is these genes. And so, um, more importantly in women, they have reported that body odor is just as important, if not more important than physical appearance in their attraction to someone. So they're going to be like, oh, I don't want to be close to this person because they smell really bad. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the transit system in the summertime. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like a, yeah. just a big experiment in itself, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you if somebody's like away and you or you you smell a shirt and it reminds you of that person, you're like, oh, they're not here. But this like is bringing back all of the memories of that person being around me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the biological compatibility component. Um, so that's part of the test. And then there is the neurocompatibility uh, component, which we look at genes that affect behavior. Mm. Um, so we look at genes related to empathy. We look at genes related to stress, um, risk taking and how they affect relationships. So just for an example, we look at a gene called, um, the serotonin transporter, and it's involved in uh, moving serotonin from like outside of a cell to an inside of the cell. And there's different versions of this gene. And um, so excitingly called, they're called the long and the short version. (laughs) Because one gene is actually physically longer than the other one, because there's been a deletion of part of the DNA and it's made it actually, the gene is actually shorter. 
At least they kept it simple. Yeah. You know, I didn't try to overscience it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you have, um, if you have the long version, it's pretty effective at moving serotonin around from outside the cell to inside the cell. If you have the short version, it's not as effective. And what they found in people is that if you have the short version, you're more likely to experience emotions more strongly. So if something negative happens, you experience it very negatively. But if something mm-hmm. good happens, you experience it very strongly. Like, um, so if you have the long version of something good happens, maybe you're like, yeah, yeah that's great. But if you're the, the short person, you're like, wow, this is like you have a much, you have a better experience, right? Mm. Uh, you feel better about it. But then the, the opposite happens when it's a bad experience, it's harder for you. You're to, a hot mess. Yeah, yeah. It's harder for you to struggle out of that. Um, and there's a 13 year research study looking at married couples and marital satisfaction in, in relation to the serotonin transporter. And what they found was that if both partners have the short version, that their marital satisfaction decreases over 13 years. Really? Because they, um, when things happen, they both respond very strongly to it. And if it's like a negative thing that happens, like maybe there's like a death or something in the family, they are very emotionally strong about it and it can lead to negativity in their relationship and they kind of taking it out on each other or they're not there to support each other because they're having their own emotions. And um, over time, the negative starts to outweigh the positive. So maybe they have like, you know, really good experiences too. And they're both very, very happy. But over time, they find that the negative one has more of an impact on the relationship. Mm. So that's that would be an example of one of the genes we test for. So we have a clinical psychologist in the States um, who works with us. And he's been working with married couples for 30 years. And um, he provides some insight into, okay, well, I can say to like from my my aspect, I can say you've got these genes. And then from his aspect, he can say, based on what we know about it, you know, here's ways that maybe you can handle it. Right. It's not about saying um, I was going to say, like, what happens if this test comes back and, you know, you and your partner, you're just opposites in a bad way or you're not the most compatible based on this DNA test. Right. So the DNA test uh, looks at a lot of different genes. Um, And so the test isn't really about saying, oh, you guys are not compatible together. It's about saying like, here's an area maybe you need to work on in your relationship. And here's an area that you're really good at in your relationship. We don't really, um, because there's so many different aspects, it's not usually like, oh, all of them are negative and you get a piece of paper back saying like (laughs) just end it already (laughs) 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 destined to fail (laughs) it's just a sad trombone noise (laughs) (laughs) no because we don't know the people we're we're not out there to say who you should be in a relationship and who you're not like you shouldn't be in a relationship with we're here to to kind of like you know help you strengthen your relationship learn about your partner you know and the feedback that we get is that it makes people feel closer to each other and it Mm. makes people have more of an understanding about where the other person is coming from they're like why are they acting like that oh they have more of a a, even a genetic predisposition to be acting that strongly in their emotions or they have a predisposition to um struggle more with empathy Mm. right and so um the feedback is kind of more like you know step it if it I, I would say if genetics were like the be all and end all that this test wouldn't be very helpful but because mm-hmm. there is the nature and the nurture I was gonna like, ask about that yeah, yeah <laughs> it allows you to take what you've learned about your genetic predisposition and say okay be able to step back and say okay maybe I'm reacting like this because I have this predisposition pulling me this way but maybe there's a better way for me to handle this situation like it's kind of sort of rising above like maybe a uh, 
how your predisposition is pulling you and saying, okay, let's try and work this out in a different way. Or let's, um, you know, maybe I, instead of saying to my husband, you can't read my emotions. You can't tell I'm upset right now saying, I know that like, it's, it, it may be harder for you to be able to interpret what I'm feeling without me saying it. So I'm going to say to you what I'm feeling. I'm going to tell you what I'm feeling as opposed to being like, how come he doesn't understand me? And it's, it's that he has the genetic variant that would make it harder for him to experience empathy. So it's about like sort of having that understanding about that person being like, well, I'm really good at empathy. He should be just as good as I am. I don't understand. I can tell what he's feeling. How mm -hmm. come he like, does he not care what I'm feeling? Mm -hmm. And it's not about him not caring about what I'm feeling. It's that he doesn't necessarily pick up on it as easily. And it's yeah. like you learn from that test and say, okay, well, maybe I need to tell him what I'm feeling. And it's not that he doesn't care. It's just that he needs more help in that situation. Yeah, I mean, you said it very delicately and very well. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of situations where that could get, that could really <laughs> blow up. You're like, I know, I, I know you're not so great at reading my emotions, so now I'm going to tell you more. Um, but how much of this becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy saying, oh, um, you're not good at reading emotions. And so therefore they'll be like, oh, I guess I'm not very good at reading emotions. How much is that nurture versus nature? Um, I mean, we do have people who have actually emailed back and said, like, I don't feel like this is me. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like it's very different than I am because they're like, um, so for example, the oxytocin transport that we look at or the receptor that we look at is, um, it's highly influenced by environments. So maybe you have the one that's like less, less able to interpret empathy, but you've been in a very, very empathetic environment. And so you come, you, you're raised and you, you have like a, a strong ability to uh, like interpret someone else. And we've had someone who was very like, they were very shocked at the result and they were like, it's really, I don't feel like that at all. And so there is definitely um, that component. I don't think that people uh, necessarily make it a self-fulfilling prophecy as opposed to it's sort of they they find it to be they either like say okay yeah that's me or they say no I don't think that that's me and uh no that's just not me <laughs> mm -hmm. like, it's like I, an opportunity for reflection yeah more than anything yeah um because uh, it hold on I don't know what I'm trying to say here that's okay. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's challenging. It's challenging. I mean, this is this is a very long, long debate. And yeah. we don't need to get into the depths of nature versus nurture, but it's very interesting because you you read a lot. We read a lot, you know, the the power of now and being able to manifest your desires and wants and things like that. So there's a lot of people who feel very strongly that regardless of who they are, where they come from, their genetic disposition, they can achieve and do anything. But at the end of the day, science is science and science is science for a reason. So mm -hmm. there is there is an acknowledgement that has to be had there. What would you say the percentage, I mean, rough percentage of people who come back and say, yes, this is spot on is like qualitatively? Um, <laughs> a percentage we don't actually hear back from a lot of people they take the test and they, they yeah they take it and they read it and um it's like a yelp review it's only if they have something like really really great or really bad to say that <laughs> yeah we've had a comment that was like um they they took a they took my saliva and it was like they knew everything about me which was that was kind of a neat comment to have mm. it was because that person just felt like it was so spot on mm -hmm. um and then 
we've had someone come. It's mostly mostly related related to specific genes when they come back and say that they don't feel like it's them. Like they come back and they say, "Oh, I don't feel like I'm passionate, or I don't feel like I'm I'm less empathetic, or something." Like it's it's more when they come back for the negative one. It's more about a specific gene, and they will usually email, and I will write them back, um, and I will kind of go through like some more information with them about it, like go into that particular gene more in depth to try and explain it to them. And um, just trying to say, like, no, we're not just a composite of like a few genes. This is mm -hmm. what the literature says on it. Um, but we are not just these genes. We've got many, many genes that make us up. Um, and I'll send them some of the research as well so they can look into it. And um, yeah, they usually are satisfied with that as an answer that that, mm -hmm. that they feel like to themselves, okay, I'm not just this one gene. Yeah, and if yeah. this one gene doesn't explain me, then there's something wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of pressure on that one gene. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I, I suppose it's looking at it holistically as opposed to just trying to pick it apart and land on that one piece. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of cultures around the world who do put a lot of effort and money and time and things like that into an outside source to define who they are, like horoscopes. I mean, there are cultures who live and breathe by horoscopes. And, you know, some might say that's very scientific, but it's it's different. So it's, a, it's an interesting conversation. Um, curious, where the, where did the idea come from for this? Because you, you're the co-founder with your husband, right? Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> well, actually, um, we we both did our undergrad together in the same university, but I didn't meet him until the very end of undergrad. But we'd both taken this animal behavior course at the same time. We were in the same class. I didn't even know that he was Aww. in the class. Oh, well, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but they the teacher had taught about the HLA, like the biological compatibility component in the class. Um, and it's not just like restricted to humans. Like this is found in a lot of different species. They found it and like even fish, they found it. Hmm. Um, and when I learned about it, I thought it was absolutely fascinating. Um, and I'd kind of held on to it and in my head and I was kind of like, you know, this is something that, um, maybe could help people, people could use, like, there's so much research that is in the lab that never makes it out to anybody. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's fascinating findings that nobody ever actually uses for anything. Why and, is that? Uh, I think academic researchers don't have a lot of know-how how to take it out to the public like they know how to do the research they know how to publish it but they don't know how to go kind of that step beyond and turn it into something that people can use they're they're trained academically but not business so my husband has an MBA okay <laughs> um, useful yeah yeah so he has a PhD <laughs> and an MBA um Whatever I do, he has to do more. There's that competition there. So yeah. <laughs> he kept on going with his school. But anyways, him having the MBA was good for understanding how to take something and turn it into a business. Mm -hmm. um, and so we decided, well, why don't we start this and try it? And um, I've been, I don't, I didn't know a lot about business, but I've been learning about business, like hands-on doing the stuff. But he was kind of like guiding that. And I was kind of like, I'm, uh, 
I'm stronger in genetics than mm -hmm. he is. His, his work was not in genetics. So it was kind of like, okay, well, I'll, I'll build up like the science side and you build up the business side. And then there's some, definitely some crossover. Like he knows how to do all of the techniques in the lab and I do some of the business stuff. Um, and it's just been kind of growing since then. But yeah, I think that there's a big sort of, there's a gap between the researcher and knowing how to turn it into a, a useful product for people to use. And I, I have like Mars and stuff downtown, which have like big, you know, facilities just to try and do that to incubate and help them help them turn their research into products. So I think they're working on it. Like this called like bench to bedside and stuff like that right now. Wow. Like now it's a it's a thing. But um yeah, traditionally like a, a professor probably wouldn't know how to do that very well. So now they're trying to help and assist with that to take it out of academics and into um the public. That's awesome. So it sounds yeah. like working with incubators and those types of great programs and hooking up with a business student, definitely, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. definitely yeah. an advantage yeah. if you're an <laughs> academic yeah. researcher. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. And, and and do you mind me asking, how compatible are both of you? <laughs> yeah, so we're one of the first people to take the test, obviously. We're always <laughs> one of the first people when we do a new gene. We're always the first people to test ourselves. Right. We're average we're we're just like most couples would be cool. taking the test the average couple um and i mean like uh, it, you probably got from that that he has the less empathetic version of the oxytocin receptor <laughs> and i have the more empathetic empathetic one and he can't be <laughs> upset he can't be upset about that when he listens to this <laughs> he'll be like yes yes it's true <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of like now if we're like we go into a situation that would be like oh we have to like handle this more delicately or we need to finesse it ron's like uh Sarah, you do it. <laughs> it's like you're better at reading a room than I am. But then the, there's, a, there's a psychological assessment as part of the test as well. And he scored um, higher dominant on it than I did. And it always bothers me that he's higher dominant on this test than, than I am. <laughs> but <laughs> I always use it to be like, okay, well, you deal with that situation because you're the dominant one. I don't uh, want to deal with it. So I like, you know. <laughs> I was going to ask if you like overcompensate in certain situations. <laughs> like I'm going to be, I'm going to be more dominant even though <laughs> it's not my disposition. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So where's the line between this and being able to make informed decisions and being able to collaborate better as a couple and it becoming almost black mirror territory where you're like, I need to find my person who uh, is is my the yin to my yang. You know what I mean? Like, how does this not progress into that? Um, well, because everybody is so different and all of their genes are so different um i think that you could you could be lurk, like you could be looking for a long time the chances of you finding someone that's like completely at exactly what would give you like the highest score is almost nothing like even for the hla there's forty thousand different possible combinations um and it's just i mean it's showing you that most people are sort of like this as a couple they're not you know if you think that your your relationship is not that good well maybe you take the test and you say okay we're just pretty much like every other couple and what mm -hmm. we score um maybe we, it's just uncovering some of those blind spots that they haven't addressed yet yeah yeah mm. um you'd have to find a lot of people to take the test with you be willing to take the test with you to try and like mm -hmm. find someone who's very very high but there's so much diversity that I mean, even if you're looking for someone who is, you know, matches you on the serotonin transporter, uh, are you going to be able to find someone that matches on the oxytocin transporter as well? It's, uh, I don't think that it's 
very useful use of time to mm. try and do that. Because um, what if you had, hypothetically, in a Black Mirror world, what if you had uh, everyone who did this test and they registered their information to some form of app or something like that, like a like a Tinder, like, like some t- uh, dating app of sorts, and then you could actually filter out people by some degree of information. Right. Well, even if you did that, um, it doesn't make up an entire relationship, right? The genetics is only one component of a relationship. So even if you did that, you're still got like the psychological component, you've still got other unidentified components. So it's not gonna, it's not the be all and end all of the relationship. It's not going to be like a perfect thing, even if you were to do that. Got it. So yeah, it's only a small component of what's going on. Okay. That's yeah. good to know. I know sometimes those types of shows, I'm just like, oh man, yeah. <laughs> they like they blow it out. And you're like, this could possibly be a, a twisted reality, you know, how many decades from now. That's cool. Uh, I had one more question before we go back to our regularly scheduled programming here. <laughs> you're like, we're only on question two. <laughs> um, but curious, because I know there's been a little bit of controversy around genetic testing and who has access to this type of information that's being collected and where this information goes. Mm-hmm. I know there's been some news articles that have come out saying, oh, um, the FBI has perused information from other genetic tests and things like that. Um, do you have any commentary around that? Um, I think that, I mean, so we don't share any genetic information with anybody. Um, but I think that it has to be something that the like the individual would sign permission for. Mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, it has to be a private service and it, if they're willing to share their information, that's fine. But I don't think that it's really right or fair to just take somebody's data and give it to somebody else to use. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely, it's a growing um, sort of area. It's something, it's it's like anything that's new. We don't really know how to handle it at first. And mm-hmm. it takes a while for kind of laws to get put into place and people to figure out what would be sort of the best thing. And until that happens, you know, companies will kind of will do what they can, I guess, to, to make money or to try and help or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to have, we definitely need to have some regulation put into place about what's going to be done. And if the, if the regulation is that while your data can be used or shared with the, the FBI, if, uh, then that needs to be known by everybody who's taking the test that that could be something that happens. Um, and I mean, it, it does get definitely more complicated because then you have people who have never taken it, but they have relatives who's taken it. And as mm-hmm. a result, they're able to identify this person who has not taken it because they have so many relatives who they do have the DNA for. So that's, it's complicated. It's complicated and it definitely needs to be discussed and sorted out and some regulation put into place there with what's going to happen to it. But because it's in a sort of a new field, we're not there yet. Mm. So it's kind of an um, uh, a territory that we have to venture into and figure out still. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of complications and complexities to think about for sure. Right. So it sounds like it doesn't have much in the way of regulation and it's up to private companies as to what they what they promise to the people who use their service. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. yeah, there's not a lot of government regulation over it right now because it is still That's scary. That's weird. That seems <laughs> scary to me, no? I don't know. You're like, "Here, have all of my genetic makeup and yeah, have fun with it. Like to, for the companies who do decide to share it, or they don't explicitly say, "Hey, we we hold this confidentially." Mm-hmm. Oh, 
Spooky. Yeah. <laughs> Good to hear that your company is not yeah. like that. Yeah, no, we don't do That's that. That's great. Good news. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, let's flip back to question three, which is how do you balance work and life? I feel like this is a big one. I know you're a mom too. Yeah. Uh, I would say there's, uh, there's not a lot of balance. It's about get every, getting everything done. I mean, it's about sort of, ah, we don't go out very much. Um, we don't have a lot of like side activities. It's very, it's very focused on what has to get done during a day. Mm -hmm. And it's focused on like, okay, I got to finish this because I have to leave by this time. I can't stay here till so-and-so hours because I have to go get my kids or I got to go home to my kids. Um, and so you become very focused, you become very efficient. Um, and, it, but you try your best, like sometimes, like maybe you get a phone call and I have to go get my son from school or something midday. And then it's like, well, and then I got to leave work. Well, then after he's sleeping, I'm working at night kind of thing, mm -hmm. right? There's like, it, it's about trying to get everything done. And there was like, I, I, a little while ago, I, <laughs> there was like one day I was like up at 6am and I was getting the kids ready. And then I was here and I was work and then I was home and I was cooking dinner. And then it, the night just seemed to get away from me. And I looked at the clock and it was like 1140pm. And I was like, I hadn't stopped moving yet. And I was just like, oh, okay, <laughs> I need to stop because this has been, day has been going on for way too long. And it's just like you making lunch for the next day for your kids, baths, dinner, bedtime, um, getting email sent out that you didn't get sent out. And it's just like a constant, like constantly going, it's constantly going. It sounds and like it, a live Tetris game. You know what I mean? You're just yes. like, Oh, this thing is coming down. And then, Oh no, these three blocks just bumped everything up towards the ceiling. And how do I re yeah. rejig everything? <laughs> yeah. 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 And it, I, I mean, we do a lot of trying to like remove as many of those Tetris blocks as we can. So we're mm -hmm. only trying to manipulate a few of them. Um, which can be hard because like, you know, if you used to see your friends like every weekend or something, maybe you see them like a couple of times a year now or like once a year, but you try to keep in touch with them like on your phone or something like that. Like you don't see them as often. Um, and it's like, well, when was the last time you saw a movie? Well, we saw a movie like last year, you know. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't have kids and I'm not uh, like an, I would say an entrepreneur, quote unquote, because I don't mm -hmm. actually have a business. And I feel like I empathize with a lot of things that you're saying myself. How do you take time for you? How do you allow yourself to not just get totally stretched out and burnt? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's kind of like... It's like that uneasy laughter. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you mean I can I do that? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I get really to the point... Like, it's kind of like, it, in a way, f I have to be forced to do it. I don't do it um, by choice so much as like, okay, I need to take a break. And it will be kind of like, okay, I just run, I need you to watch the kids for like an hour. And I need to, mm -hmm. like go and take a break and like you use you try to use like opportunities in your day that you already have to like take your break like taking a shower like take a bit of a longer shower because that's that's a chance for you to be by yourself and in your own thoughts kind of thing mm -hmm. um but there's not a lot of eh, <laughs> there's not a lot of opportunity to do that it's kind of like you you take short little breaks maybe at lunchtime or whatever or if you really need to even like maybe you ask the grandparents to look after the kids for like a, a day or an afternoon so you can spend some time 
either by yourself or like me with my husband or something like just going out mm-hmm. um yeah if you really need it you need to have it's good to have a support system where someone can look after the kids for you um or you know you take like a lunch break you go somewhere uh, like go to a park or something like that so like unwind like that would be something for me i don't know if that's everybody's thing but like <laughs> going to somewhere going to nature and like you know watching a stream or something would help me deal with like stress like listening to the water run that would be something i would do but not everyone would do that <laughs> yeah no that's great advice i mean yeah. it sounds like you just take the time when you can have it and when you can take it worst case you enlist your support network and then just yeah understand what calms you and what's centers you and do that when you have that time. Yeah. I would say that that's a big part of it. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know how she does it. <laughs> <laughs> you you, that's you awesome. just do it. I, I didn't know how to, I would, I would be able to have two kids, but it's kind of like you find the energy. I don't know. You find the, cause they bring like so much joy to my life. I just like, I, I love going home to see them and like they come running to the door and like mommy's home. And Aww. like, you know, and you just like, you get a, you're give like, them you're big, worth it. Yeah. A big hug. <laughs> and they, they, they come up and then they, when they're snuggling you, it's just like, Oh, like you sit on the couch, like at night to watch like a kid's show or something before bed and they're jumping on the couch and they're curling up with you. And it's just like, you know, that makes you happy. Like it makes it so much more worthwhile at the end of the day. You feel happy at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And like they, they are, they are crazy. They're two boys, <laughs> but they are also so much like they bring so much joy that it's just like, it's absolutely worth having two of them. And all of the work that's involved is just, it's still worth it because they, they're just so wonderful. <laughs> that's a strong reminder. You know, I, I think that's, it's very easy, especially for someone who doesn't have kids to just think about the idea of having kids and just feel tired, just thinking about it. But when you're in it, it's 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 there. It's very real, and you actually have those tangible payback moments. You know yeah. what I mean? Like those. It's it feeds your soul in a way that it you probably don't it have does, in any yeah. other capacity. Yeah, and they also are good for like helping. I mean, they're good for helping keep you in check for not like just focusing on work all of the time because mm. you go home and they're awake you can't you cannot do work when they're awake <laughs> like <laughs> it's just impossible you got to wait till they're sleeping if you want to do anything but it like it keeps you it, it's good because then it also forces you to take a break from work mm-hmm. like you're at the park or you're in the backyard or something like that with them for a little bit when you get home and that helps it helps take away some of the stress from work. Even, I mean, you're stressed because you're like, oh, I need to do this, that, and the other, and I can't do it right now because right. they're awake. But then you're like, okay, well, I just take this break with them. They're little, have some time. I'm having fun. This yeah. can wait till a bit later. I'll do it after they're sleeping. And it's that's a lot of fun too, having that check because you also get to live stuff that you you can't when you don't have kids, right? You'd look weird like going to like a playground and like swinging on swings maybe if, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't know I mean I'm totally that person that goes to the dog park with dog park without a dog and just sits there to look at dogs you know I'm, I'm so I mean myself I, probably not but most people yes no, I know I totally do that a lot of people do that but yeah you get to live stuff that like live through childhood in a way again like they bring back like the excitement of Christmas time like my son was so excited for Christmas this year like it was Aww. just so much fun like as soon as the Christmas tree came out, he was just like, the Christmas tree, the Christmas tree, the Christmas tree. And he's just like running around, like just like bouncing off the walls. And it was so excited that the Christmas tree was coming. And, and you know, you you kind of lose that when you get older. You're kind of like, oh, the hustle and bustle of Christmas, put the tree up. Yeah, it's nice. But you don't have the same sort of um, experience that like a four-year-old has when the like, Christmas tree comes out. Like it's just the excitement, the wonder, like it's 
you relive that and it's nice to have that. So it's good. That's that's actually a really interesting perspective of of being able to see the world for, yeah. um, you know, or experience events for the first time or through the eyes of a child. Yeah. It's actually, um, it's, it's a tactic that I think a lot of therapists use is picturing yourself out of body even as a child. So would you allow your, the child version of yourself to be treated in a particular manner as an example? It's like if that's the, if that's not the case, then that's something that would inform your adult self. But I think just the joyful elements of being able to be reminded of how exciting things are is yeah. so important, even if you yeah. don't have kids. So it's cool that you have, you're sort of forced to have that reminder in real time. But yeah. Oh, that's it's nice. Great. Having kids is great. That's I love great. having kids. <laughs> <laughs> Plus one in the mom column. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> so funny because we've we've talked about um, parenting on several podcasts and everyone has a very different opinion of it. So it's really nice to hear from someone who is so accomplished and who does so much and is so thrilled about the family that they've grown. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, let's move forward to question four, which is, can you tell us about a difficult moment in your life? This is hard. And I kind of already brought it up, but it was when I, when I did not get into the veterinary program, it was, that was, I would say a difficult moment in my life. I was very heartbroken when that happened. I mean, you have like, I mean, there's a lot of difficult moments in life. Like you lose someone that you love, like even if your like dog dies, that's a very difficult moment. Mm -hmm. um, Is there anything in particular that's been particularly challenging for you? This is a really tough question for me to think through. I would say I haven't, I've been lucky enough not to have a very tragic moment that I can pull on and say this was touch wood. Yeah, yeah, I would say touch wood for that, that it was just absolutely heartbreaking. So I have been lucky. Um, I've had like the the difficult moments along the way that I think most people experience, um, but I don't feel like I've had something in particular that would be just something that had happened to me that was like very tragic. So mm. um, it was, I was thinking about this question and it was kind of hard for me to come up with an answer for that. Mm -hmm. um, that I, I don't I don't feel like I stand out from most people in the struggles that they've had in their lives. And I mean, maybe most people have had that one moment that was very difficult above and beyond other moments. Um, but yeah, like I said, I don't I feel like I've been lucky enough to not have to go through that, at least not yet. Mm -hmm. Anyways, which is definitely a good thing for sure. And yeah. when you were describing your experience when you had the veterinary interview, um, it seems like you're very good at almost compartmentalizing, saying like, this happened, it sucked, but I'm going to take my moment and move on. And it doesn't seem like you let that drag you down. Would you say that that's how you deal with most of those even mini setbacks as you go through you, life? I... Yeah, I, I guess I would say so that I would try to do that. Try to like, you have that in your moment, you deal with those emotions, you do what you need to do for when that's happening. And then it becomes part of you and you grow from it and move on. And you, it, it becomes like, it, it definitely uh, helps you grow as a person that creates who you are and affects what you do in the future. But it's try not to have it something that like 
brings negativity into that. Mm-hmm. But, ha- have yeah. you always been like that or, or was that something you learned? I think it's something that I've learned along the way. Um, I, don't, I don't think I've always been like that. It, um, I was going to say, it's so like cool, yeah. calm, collected and measured. I'm like, wow, <laughs> I'm, I'm so <laughs> impressed. <laughs> I don't know. If I- <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just it's, it's, it's just a learning experience along the way mm-hmm. and deciding how to work through situations. Just have to for me, anyways. That's mm-hmm. how I had to try and deal with it to keep going. Was it self-taught, like just out of necessity, or did you learn it from you know a parent or a role model? Um, I mean, I I think it's been both. I think it's self-taught, and I think it's also just talking to people who have been like, you know, this happened. You know, it's 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 horrible. It's okay at the same time, and will recover from it and then people like it's having those positive people in your life who provide that sort of input to you that helps you grow and learn those skills Mm -hmm. to keep moving forward it's not having someone that says oh that's horrible how are you ever going to get out of this it's going to ruin you for the rest of your life it's going to affect you kind of thing but have this person who's like it's horrible I was going to say you weren't raised in like a Jewish family that's that's pretty (laughs) (laughs) the sky is always falling how will you ever recover from this I'm like yeah sorry go on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, but yeah, no, it's having that person that was, that's kind of like, you know, uh, that helps you acknowledge what's happened and helps it, you know, become part of you, but not bring you down sort of thing. And you can use it in a positive sense to help you grow. I would say it's just it's having those people around you. I think the people around you in your life are very, very important for how like how you are as a person that's very very important you have that like one person that's just like just like wears you down and drags you down it has such a huge impact on you so it's the people are very important in your life talk about that nurture element really yes. yeah yes, it's that nurture element i yeah. i empathize thank you that's that's a really inspiring reminder of how to deal with adversity how to deal with setbacks because that's that's life you you will be dealing with plenty of these in various worlds so that's great thank you for that all right question five who or what inspires you the most so I was thinking about that question too and that there's two there's two women actually that I know that I am kind of inspired by them there was one um and she's still a friend of mine but she was the other a PhD student in my lab and she has um she has a medical condition that can become quite serious at times like very mm-hmm. serious for her and i remember going through the PhD that like there would be a couple of times where she just disappeared and it was because she ended up in hospital and she would be in hospital for a few weeks at a time wow. with this condition and um but the thing about it was like she just came back and she just like, she was like, this is not going to take me out. This is not going to define who I am. And she came back and she just kept working and she finished her PhD. And then when she was done, she was just like, I'm not done yet. And now she has an MD and she just like, she kept going and now she has a family. And it's just incredible to like, it's very inspiring to watch her because she has this very serious condition that really can, you know, it can be life-threatening at times. And she's just like, it happens. It's part of her. And but she she acknowledges it and it's definitely part of her. And if you know her, you know that part of her as well. But she's like, I'm not going to let it stop me. I'm not going to let it, you know, you know, tear me down or tell me what I can or can't do. And I'm going to I acknowledge that sometimes it will make me have a setback. 
but mm. it's just a setback and I'm going to keep going. And not only is she like inspiring like this, she's brilliant. Like she has a PhD and them. She's very smart. She's very pretty. She's very friendly. Like she's just like, she's an amazing person to watch really. Like it really is. And then you're just like, it, it inspires you. And it's be like, if she can do that with that medical condition, then I should be able to do this because I don't have that like uh, affecting me and mm -hmm. I have like you know uh, I should be able to do this as well and she's just so good at it and it's just amazing to watch her doing this that must yes. keep you humble when you're like oh I have a bit of a cold or I'm feeling tired yes. today and you're <laughs> like uh oh wait the person I'm I'm working with here she's dealing with something yeah. that's way more difficult and killing yeah. it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah yes <laughs> it does put things in perspective a lot when when you interact with her and she's just such a wonderful person too and it's just I'm still friends with her even like 10 years after finishing and oh. it's like it's great um, so she's somebody, somebody that I find to be very inspiring. Um, and then when I was doing a fellowship after I graduated, there was a PhD student in that lab. And, um, I was inspired by her as well because she'd come from another country by herself to do this PhD. She was alone in Canada. And not only was she dealing with trying to do a PhD, she was dealing with a completely different culture. She was dealing with cultural pressures from her own country, from where she was. And what country? Um, Abu Dhabi. Oh, yeah. 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 I'd imagine. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Woman so, in a lab. What is that? Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, she was she was kind of inspiring to watch because she handled everything with like with such maturity from like her her personal life to her like her relationships with like her friends and like with like a romantic relationship and like her parents and her research. And it was just like she was so good at being able to balance stuff and be resilient and like um you know just being here by herself and doing all of that and managing all of that and it was it was very inspiring to watch her as well going through her degree and managing all of that so she was inspiring to me as well <laughs> Wow, you girls are badasses. <laughs> Seriously, when I think about all of the things that you you have to balance and the resilience in general, I mean, even in the stories that you've been sharing, having to manage so much and operate at this very, very, very high degree, like you don't exactly, that's not exactly a position where you can come in, check in, check out and have your eyes glaze over. Like you have to be very engaged. Yeah. That's That's hugely inspiring. Yeah, yeah, to me they're definitely all the way through was like inspired by them. I'm still inspired by them. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Uh having positive role models is such an important thing. Yes. Yes. Including you. <laughs> That's why you're here. That's why you're here. Um it, do you, do people call you like Dr. Sarah Seabrook? Like is that Nobody calls me doctor ever. <laughs> okay. All right. So I won't. I won't start. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about that when I was preparing for the podcast. I'm like, don't do I have to call her doctor? Is no, it is no. it disrespectful? Is it you know? <laughs> Nobody calls her doctor. <laughs> would Would you like people to? No, I don't no. really care. No, no. <laughs> you're like this would be weird. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. All righty, let's move on to question six, which is what is the most adventurous oh, thing no, you have question. ever done? You know, <laughs> 
<laughs> She's already I, turning red. No, no, it's because I, I one. So one of the genes that we test for is actually like risk taking and adventure seeking. And I don't actually carry it. I carry the like the non risk taking version. And I was like, I, I was I'm like, I'm the most boring person. You don't have person. it at all. You don't no, have I don't it. have it. I'm the most boring person in the entire world. Like I was trying to think of it. I was talking with them yesterday at lunch, like people here. And I was like, you know if somebody asked you what adventurous thing you've done, what would you say? And like, there's some people who are like, oh, I traveled by myself or, and I was just like, I haven't even done that. I've traveled with my husband or like, I, I was, <laughs> I was like, um, I've gone dog sledding. That's cool. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if that's adventurous or not. I've gone that dog is. sledding. Where was that? In Huntsville, Ontario. <laughs> that's cool. I've, I've never been on a dog sled. I'd, I, I feel like I'm so small and weigh like two pounds that I would just, it would not go very well for me. I feel like I would step on the sled and then it would just, yeah, oh, take strong. off without me. Yeah. The dogs are very strong. Yeah. yeah. It was yeah. hard to control the sled. I fell off once and the dogs like took off and the, the people who were running the show had to like, actually, as the dog sled was passing them, they had to jump from their dog sled to mine and then put on the brakes. <laughs> Because the dogs were just like gone. And I was. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah. I was like lying in the snow like, oh. <laughs> so, yeah, That's pretty adventurous. Very, very strong. Um, yeah. I've, I've done a, a hike through a rainforest. Wow. Which was kind of, but I was with like a group of people. It wasn't just me, but we kind of like, we walked along a river and we went through a rainforest. And which, that was kind of neat. And that was where? That was in uh, St. Lucia. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. So oh, that was I'd love a, to go. That was okay. Um, <laughs> it was just, so so. It was <laughs> mediocre. Well, I, don't it was a, I don't know if it's an adventure or not because I didn't it really is. like feel like my life was at stake or anything like well, that. <laughs> I mean, adventurous means what it means to you. It doesn't need to be you jumping out of an airplane or doing something solo. It's something that pushes your own comfort zone, your right. own boundary. So regardless of whether you have the genetic disposition to be <laughs> super risk taker or not, for yeah. you you what might be adventurous might not be the definition of adventurous to the next person so right. yeah. I, I think both of those things are adventurous but is there anything else that comes to mind um i mean the only other thing i can think of is that on my bucket list was to climb the cn tower which i've done now i did that a couple of times oh cool <laughs> climbed up the cn tower stairs which was you know <laughs> and for our listeners who don't live in toronto so the cn tower is the really really large pointy tower uh, <laughs> that you see on the toronto skyline so it's very very tall how many flights of stairs or stairs do you happen to know oh i don't remember it's a lot in my head it it's, took like, um, I think the first time we went, it took us 40 minutes to go up the stairs. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Was it, it just is. walking? Just oh, walking. Yeah. Okay, you walk, yeah. you walk the entire time up the stairs. Um, there was wow. people who, uh, I didn't realize like the center of the CN Tower is kind of hollow and there's like doors, uh, like little windows inside the staircase, which they can take people out and like lower them down if they're not making it all the way up. So oh. I saw one guy like had to get taken out and like lowered down the center oh. of the tower because it was, it's a, it's a long hike up that tower. But you have to do a little bit of training for it, I would say, to get up there. But it, yeah, so that was on my bucket list of adventurous things to do. That's great. <laughs> well, is there anything else you're looking forward to or anything that you would like to do that you haven't checked off the bucket list yet? Uh, I mean, I'd like to. There's a few places I want to travel to. I actually want to travel to Antarctica. That's sort of an adventure that I want to do. I want to go and see the glaciers in Antarctica. Maybe I won't actually get to land on the ice, but like taking like a cruise or something that goes close enough that you can see all those glaciers. That's something that I really want to do at one point is go to Antarctica. So, that's so cool. And I'm not like not like Argentina, Antarctica. I mean, like 
Antarctica. Like, like actual like penguin Antarctica. <laughs> I don't well, know if penguins are actually there. There's penguins in, in, in Argentina too. But oh, really? Like, yeah, the, the very south. <laughs> learn something new. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, actually... Uh, like go and see those ice shelves frosty yeah looking up and seeing like the big ice shelves that's something i'd want to do eventually one day yeah you definitely should there's that like ecology yeah exactly i want to go to the galapagos islands that's sort of like an ecology thing too all there's it's full of endemic species there um and just see all of the different animals because they're there's you're not really allowed on the islands from what i understand you're like you're allowed really? to get off the boat, but there's nobody who lives like they don't have like hotels or anything. Right. So the animals don't really have that fear of people from what I understand. So you get oh. off and like all the animals are kind of like wandering around to you. They're close to you. Um, so I want to go there because that's where like um, Darwin went. Right. That's where evolution. He kind of like right. discovered evolution in, in the Galapagos Islands. So I'd love to go there. Um, and then Australia. I want to go to Australia. I haven't been there. I know a lot of people have traveled to Australia, but I haven't yeah. yet, but I do want to go. <laughs> Neither have I. I know those are all really cool yeah. places. Yeah, I've, I've been to uh, I've been to a couple islands that are sort of like that. People don't really live there or not many people live there. And it's one of those things where tourists can go and take a look around. But yeah, the, the species of animals and reptiles and things that live there, they are not afraid of people. I went to Iguana Island in Cuba and let's just say I walked away with a couple of iguana bites. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they're like, oh, you can feed the iguana. And I'm like, no, no, I'm good. And it just like decided to eat my hand. And it was great. It's great. Yeah. It's like, that's not what I came here for. But (laughs) so that's the warning. If you go to Iguana Island, be careful. (laughs) Good to know. I'll keep an eye out. Right. Awesome. Well, I do hope you get to check those off your bucket list. I would love to. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) One day. Very cool. All righty. Question seven is what do you attribute your success to? My success too would be, again, I would say the people around me. So important that people around you, you know, giving you support, giving you feedback, encouraging you, saying that you can do this, you know, is that's like the main, main thing is the people around you. You have to have like, I mean, a, a bit of a drive and you have to kind of work on that resiliency. Like you, you have to work on it, but you've got these people who are, you know, encouraging you to work on it. Mm-hmm. And then you're okay. Okay. I can do this. Okay. I can do this. You know, they're helping me. They say I can do this. The people people yeah yeah it's so important people are so important if you don't have someone that you can fall back on and someone who's going to help prop you up again it's it's so much harder to Mm -hmm. do something you got to have that you got to have like that you know that rock that person who will help you who will like just tell you get up keep going you can do it so yeah the people in my life very important that's amazing yeah. And I have to say, it's very, very cool that you, you work with your husband, you have a business together. I yeah. could imagine that there's some people listening to this who would cringe at the very idea <laughs> of it. Like so for some people, you know, work is a place where I don't say they escape their partner, but they have space from their partner. Um, I, I would personally love to work with my partner more closely, but what has it been like doing this together? Um, I mean, I mentioned before, like you guys compliment each other a bit, but yeah, um, I mean, for the most part, I, there's definitely times where you, you start to get into arguments over the company, but for most of the time, like you really have someone who 
you can really talk to who really understands you, who really understands the company and can really, you know, give something that's useful to the conversation, to you and to the conversation. And um, it's it's someone that you can fall back on as well. Um, I don't mind. I, I mean, I've worked with them in the past. Um, like we've done PhDs in the same uh, you know, sorry, masters in the same university. Um, we've worked out of the same building a couple of times, so it's not really something that was completely not super new. Yeah, super new or super different to me. Um, I guess we just have a way of sort of we give each other space. Like we're not like just always on top of like, oh, you're getting in my way. Like we try not to do that sort of bickering. Like mm -hmm. sort of be respectful of each other's space and try to bring like just like useful stuff to the conversation I, I mean it doesn't always work like he's your husband you see you're like you can be like ah oh, you're doing this again I can't believe you're doing this again like it definitely yeah, goes yeah. down that road <laughs> 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 but it's trying to like you you try not to let that take over um and you you I mean it's, it's there's mutual respect there and it's about like you know you respect each other and you want each other to do well and you want the company to do well and that's what you focus on is that mm -hmm. so it's not, I never really found it to be like a huge issue, maybe because we do give each other the space, but, and, and not try to like overwhelm each other with stuff. Maybe. That's good. Yeah. That's really good so, advice. Yeah. Oh man. I guess. Look at you. You're so functional. <laughs> so functional together. No. That's great. That's amazing. It <laughs> was just the average couple based on these chemistry tests. <laughs> no, no, but that's great. It's really important to be able to know what that other person needs in the moment. And although things can get heated, you just ultimately give each other the space that you need to be able to focus on that core goal of helping the company succeed. Yeah. It's great. I have another question. Yeah. Um, what advancements do you see in the future of genetic testing or what things in the future for genetics are exciting you? Um, so I think a lot of it, there's, there's still a lot that we don't know about genes and the genome and learning about that, learning about like the regulation and like, you know, um, epigenetics and all that kind of stuff is a, like an area that's growing and it's very interesting. And I think there's going to be some stuff there, but it's just, that's kind of like, well, maybe you have this gene, but it's been shut off. And so it's not, you don't have like the disease that you would have if it was on kind of mm -hmm. thing. And like, how do you, how do you shut that off? How do you do that? And like, um, is it is it possible to there's that gene editing with CRISPR like is it possible to use that to you know cure somebody with like a an illness or something like that like a, the future of like genetics and editing and um just understanding what all the genes do and mm -hmm. understanding how they work together like there's a lot a lot that we don't know mm -hmm. about them and what we do know like it's such a small snippet what we do know about the genes and so it's just a huge area of studying and learning about them um yeah i think that i i mean gene editing i think is a really big one that's coming up and it's going to be something really interesting to watch and learn with crispr's of it's like the and exciting gene, thing gene editing. What is that? So CRISPR has the ability to go in and snip out a segment of a gene and put in a different segment of a gene. Like in, a, in an actual person or is this in a. Yeah. So, yeah. So it would be in an animal. It would be in a cell. It would be in an embryo. Um, there was I don't know. There was that study or that came out from China about a scientist who had who had um, edited uh, two embryos like twins. And one oh. of them had 
the homozygote, so both of the copies of the gene had been edited, and the other one was like a heterozygote, only one of the copies of the gene was edited. And these embryos turned in like their children, right? They're babies now. Um, so there's like a whole ethical thing about that, and was that actually real? And what does it mean they're now genetically modified children if they are real? And yeah. like the there's a huge ethical thing around that, like what was done and was it actually done? Like, do they have like the evidence and the proof of it? Um, so yes, gene editing is can be done in humans. It's something that's uh, it's coming. It's coming. People are working on it. Oh, but wow. the question is like, can you actually edit an adult? Like because you're made up of like so many cells, right? Mm. Like I think that they found that um, even if you try to, it's like someone who's like, say they have terminal cancer or something mm -hmm. like that in their liver and, you know, they go into like an experimental study or something like that and you want to try and edit some of those cells in their liver. Even if they um, put in like massive copies of CRISPR, you only get like maybe like 2% or something of the genes edited. Like it's right. a very small amount. Um and is that enough to actually help the person? And and is there a way to increase that number and have more of them edited? And what are the impacts of editing? And what if there's off-target editing? So what if you edit in the liver, but then you also do some editing in the heart by accident or something like that? Like, you know, yeah. this is a it's a it has a huge potential, but there's a lot of things that have to be worked out as well. But it's very that's interesting for me to watch that coming up. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. is interesting. And I can only imagine that, yeah, the ethical side of it is definitely going to be front and center, especially when we think about designing babies as an yeah. example. You know, that's a whole, that's a whole, that's a whole, other, that's a whole podcast. <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> Very cool. And so what is a, what is a chief science officer and how do you become one? <laughs> <laughs> um i mean you're responsible for the science um you like <laughs> that <laughs> you're responsible for the science <laughs> yeah if stuff's not working like if if you know if a protocol starts to fail or if something you know if you're developing a new protocol like you've got to make sure things are running like you're it's it can get complicated and it's you're responsible for having everything going. So, you know, it kind of falls to you. If someone's got like a problem, they're like, you know, they come to you and you're like, okay, I got to try and fix this. I got to sort out what's going on. It, you know, and it, is it the, is it the probes? Is it the reagents? What's like, you know, where's the problem? How do you interpret it? Like, it's about like trying to explain to people what the science is. And that's been a big area is trying to make genetics at least from us is trying to make genetics not something that sounds scary, but something that like um, people are interested in and they can read and understand what they're reading as opposed to being like all this technical like garble about genetics that nobody understands is mm. trying to write in a way that people can understand and learn from what they've what they've read. So that's been a kind of a big component of it. Um, yeah, it's it's. There's, uh, yeah, the the interpretation, dealing with like, um, you know, if you have a customer that has a problem, it just kind of falls on you as well, trying to explain science to them in a more in detail or an in-depth way so they can take home that, take that home and like be able to interpret it and understand what, what has just happened because they've just taken a genetic test and maybe they don't know anything about genetics. So mm -hmm. yeah, being able to explain to them because you don't want, uh, with all of the genetics that's coming up and the genetic testing that's available, you don't want people to, um, 
there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity for misunderstanding and misinterpretation and trying to explain stuff to them in a way like what does this actually mean mm -hmm. and um you know what does it actually mean for you and what does it not mean kind mm -hmm. of thing like how far like don't take this in this way or don't take this too far because we can't interpret it that strongly in yeah. a lot of different ways so a lot of spending a lot of time writing trying to make it more accessible for people is a big big component of it got so, it yeah. and how yeah. do you how do you get to be a chief science officer uh you have to be pretty nerdy <laughs> <laughs> just put that on LinkedIn. Like, I am nerdy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, I guess, just coming up and spending a lot of time focusing on on your work and just, it's, it's the same idea as like going through trying to do a PhD or trying to get what you want. It's, it's handling rejection, um, trying another opportunity, another door, um, taking that rejection again, keep striving to be better, keep striving to do your best and have a support group of people who are kind of supporting you. It's, 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 a, it follows kind of the same pattern, I guess, as like everything, everything else. Everything else. Yeah. Trying to, trying to accomplish it's have someone to bounce ideas off of, talk to them about it, um, show what you can do. Yeah. It's such a cool title. I love it. Chief <laughs> Science Officer it just sounds so, so badass. So cool. <laughs> All right. Let's start to wrap things up with question eight, which is what item or items could you never live without? Yeah. Um, and, and initially I thought about like, well, I would have a really, it would be a much more difficult time to live without like a driver's license. <laughs> that, that's like an item getting around from like one place to another like just being able to freely do it without having to you know wait for like an uber or like take a bus or just being like i can just do it now kind of thing and go wherever I, where i want to or where i need to go um that's such a that's such a unique answer. I haven't ha I haven't heard that one yet. It's funny cuz i i only got my full driver's license over the past year only because I'm born and raised in the city. So I usually walk or transit or every once in a while Uber. So it was really just out of a state of like, yeah, I guess I should have this uh, more yeah. than anything. Yeah, I know there's, there's people definitely who don't have one and living in downtown Toronto, I think it's easier to not have one. I mean, I, I feel like I need, like if I need to go get my kids or something, I don't like the idea of like not being able to just do it. do it yeah like I feel like it, for me or even like waiting for for something like for me it's like okay I need to be able to just go and have mm -hmm. that flexibility to just go makes um, sense and then like uh, like another items like a phone like I don't know if other people say phone these are like items but these are like like <laughs> they're not like um I was trying to think about it and again it's kind of like connecting you to people right your phone you can't live without your phone but why not it's because it's because it's connecting you to people mm -hmm. your car why can't you live without your license well it's because it's connecting me to people mm -hmm. right so is it is it really is it the car is it the phone or is it the needing that connection to people right is that was that ultimately the item that you can't live without is it the people that these things connect you to you are a scientist aren't you <laughs> Like rationalization of the question. <laughs> but it's true. You're totally right. That is true. But yes, for the sake of the question, we are looking at a at a at a thing. <laughs> so yeah. those are very valid answers. 
<laughs> yeah, there, so those are the things that I came up with. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know it, it's true. We actually hear phone a lot on the interview, and it's it's true because yeah. for different people, the phone means different things. Same object, but means different things to them. So to some people, it's it's the music, it's the ability to consume content that's really meaningful for you. It's people. So yeah. That's why we have the question. <laughs> All right. Question nine. Is there anything you'd like to promote either about yourself, your business in general? Um, well, I'd love to promote my business. It's great. Try it. <laughs> <laughs> and no. it, how, how can people get one of these tests? Uh, they would just go to instantchemistry.com and they can just order off the website and they'll get a kit in the mail and then they can send it back and we'll test them and send them their results. Very so, cool. Oh, I love the name instant yeah. chemistry. It's just, it's so cute. And yeah, I, yeah. I didn't even realize that when I, it's funny. I, um, when I reached out to you to be on the podcast, I didn't research your company first. I researched you. And, oh, okay. and then yeah. when I was doing research on you, obviously I was looking at your company and I'm like, this is even cooler than what I originally <laughs> thought. It's so interesting. Cause I, you know, you hear a lot yeah. about, uh, genetic testing. It seems to be very popular, maybe even a competitive space right now, but yeah. doing it in, in, in a relationship context is uh, a lens that I've never seen before. So that's very cool. All right. So go to instantchemistry.com, order your tests and figure out how to deal with your partner better. <laughs> um, all right. To close things off, question 10 is what is a lesson you learned the hard way that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, a lesson that I learned the hard way. I mean, I kind of, learned it along the way like I said like learning how to be resilient and how to like have good people in your life and I think um when I was very when I was young like just starting high school I kind of learned the hard way that having a negative person in your life can be very negative on you um someone that I knew from high school um it was and it ended up being like a very rough year trying for me to like I thought that we were friends and then I realized that as we weren't really that much in the way of friends um mm. and just trying to deal with that and then well how do I now that this person is here in my life and causing me kind of like problems and distress how do I get them out of my life um and I sort of got lucky in a way that their family moved and so they mm. left the school, which was a, a big help to me to try and because it's a, it was like a small school and you see them all the time. And like, how do you and I kind of I kind of learned from that that to be sort of cautious right at the beginning, because sometimes if they come into your life and they're too ingrained in your life, it can be very hard to sort of um, stop the impact that they're having on your life if it is negative and mm. sort of um, I say I learned that the hard way because. I had this person that was very negative on me and negative in my life. And it had a really big impact on me. Um, How so? Was it, um, was it a particular conflict? Was it a lot of little things? Was it more their energy and outlook? Um, it was, it was a, a lot of different things. It was kind of, they, I mean, I, I'd, I'd, I'd come from a very, very small public school to a uh, it was a small high school, but for me, it was a large high school compared to my public school. And um, and it was kind of she was uh, she was 
controlling over me. She was, um, she would bring me down. Like I remember I tried out for the soccer team and I didn't make the soccer team. And then she, instead of her reaction being like, oh, well, maybe try again next year. She was like, you really thought you would make the soccer team? Like, I can't believe you actually oh. tried out. Like, why would you even try? You're obviously not a soccer player. Like that kind of like, you know, response. Some people can be so mean. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, <what is> that? <laughs> like she Dear was, teenagers listening to the podcast, please don't do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it was kind of like, you know, um, I, if I you know, started to try and like stand up for myself or be like, I don't like how you're reacting to me. And then it was kind of like she was sort of starting to get upset. And I was starting to worry about like my safety at times that she was really? going to actually like get into a fight with me and like, like try to beat me up at school. Like I was worried that I was going to get beaten up going to school for a while. Um, That's horrible. Yeah, she. It was. It was a pretty bad influence. So that's why I didn't sound like a friend at all. That sounds like like because when you first you meet her and she's like you're very friendly and like oh I have a friend in high school I'm just starting it's grade nine it's great and then you like you're like whoa what's going on here she's totally manipulating me yeah and then if I'm trying to push her away now she's getting angry with me and now now I'm scared that I'm gonna get beat up yeah (laughs) you're like that's a girl who needs some therapy yeah Um, so what would you have done had had she not moved away, what would have been your plan of a plan of escape? <laughs> uh, well, it was still kind of the. I think it. I think it helped that she moved away, but she was still coming to. She would still come to the school to try and like, like harass me. I guess at the school, she'd like wait for me outside and stuff. Wow, um, terrifying. So I, I, I ended up. I had to put it in bigger hands than my own. I had to. I went and I talked to the vice principal at the school. Good and for I, you. And I taught. It's kind of funny because I went to the guidance counselor in the morning, and I think the guidance counselor. I just. I. I. I'd reached my point, and I was like, I can't handle this on my own, and I'm scared to come to school, and this isn't right. And I went to the guidance counselor, and she was like, Oh, why are you here? You like talk about what your future like courses are, and I was like, No, I'm worried I'm gonna get beat up. Oh. <laughs> Oh. Guidance counselor's yeah. like, I didn't, I didn't envision my <laughs> my job to be this difficult. <laughs> yeah, and sure, you don't want to talk about colleges. Come on. <laughs> it, yeah, so I I had to put it in bigger hands than myself, and I went to the vice principal, and they handled it, um, and it it resolved itself after that. And then it was kind of like, but for me, it was like uh, it was a lesson learned the hard way. And s- since then, I've kind of been like more like, okay, how are you going to? impact on my life and if I don't like it maybe I'm going to keep you at more of an arm's reach than somebody who I think will be a positive impact on me and maybe it's kind of selfish but at the same time it's my life (laughs) and I don't want I don't want to be scared about my life or like be worried about you know what somebody's going to do or be like oh this person is not gonna you know they're gonna tell me that I suck kind of thing so that's kind of my lesson that I learned the hard way. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Surround yourself with people who will encourage you and challenge you in the right ways to thrive. Yes. Yeah. Well, I can't think of a better way to end things off. Thank you so much for your time. It's been so wonderful to get to know you. Thank you for coming. And it's been very nice speaking with you. 
Thanks for listening, everyone. Find us on Facebook at Legit Lady Podcast. That's L-E-G-I-T-L-A-D-Y Podcast. And on Instagram at Legit Lady Podcast. On Twitter at Legit Lady Pod. That's Legit Lady P-O-D. And please rate and comment on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts. If you love what you hear, share it broadly and proudly. Thanks, everyone. 